The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just, once again, so thankful for Your Word. And we come to You trusting that, um, that it speaks to us today. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Even uh, difficult passages, passages that we're not sure we understand, or passages that make us uncomfortable, um, we pray, God, that You would speak to us and comfort us with Your Gospel and also in, uh, enliven us and strengthen us to do what your word asks, so that we might love you and please you as a response to your great grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 10, and uh, we're looking at the first half of that. We're in a new section, a new section of Matthew. If you didn't get uh, the sheets there around... Kind of a smaller crowd today. Thank you for being here. Um, so we've been seeing, in the last few weeks, we have seen the authority of Jesus manifested. We've seen authority in action is the name of what we call chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now he's beginning to share that authority. Uh, we saw him healing and casting out demons, raising the dead, calming the sea, all that. Just incredible acts, of uh, miraculous acts of his power but now we have this new manifestation of his authority, which is uh, that he has the right and the ability to share that authority, uh, to bestow that authority or endow us with his authority. Now, why is that significant? What do you think? Why is it significant that he has the right and the uh, ability to... Uh, to share his authority. How else to spread the gospel? Right? That's a great way to say it. I mean, he's just one guy. And so even now, even now, fairly early in his ministry, Jesus is preparing the leaders of the early church for what they're going to have to do. So he's giving them a little practice, a little bit of a trial run. Okay? Hold on just one second. Now, um, is, so what Jesus is doing is just simply good leadership and practice. He is sharing uh, his authority. He's delegating. Not, delegate, he's not offloading responsibilities, but he's preparing them for what, um, what they're going to have to do when he's gone, but he's doing it while he's there so that he can, they can get his feedback. So it's just good leadership. It's important not just for the disciples, but for us too, because we are heirs of this shared authority. Uh, many, we're obviously many, many, many generations in to this shared authority, but we are heirs of it. And um, we, what our task this morning is to distinguish between what was specific to these twelve and what is general for everybody. What was what was meant just for this mission and for these twelve apostles, and what is generally given to all disciples. So that's that's what we want to be looking out for, as we are, um, as we're looking at these verses. Okay, so we have we begin chapter ten. Jesus calling the twelve disciples. All right, so let me read that real quick. Unless somebody else wants to read it, a bunch of names. Okay, thanks, Connie. 
called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Great. So if we were to look at this same passage over in Mark's Gospel, uh, we have there more of an appointment. Uh, we have uh, where uh, all this whole like, large band of followers comes to Jesus, and he calls 12 from that larger group. Uh, but here in Matthew, we simply have a naming of the 12. It's, it's, it's not really the moment of appointment. He, he's calling the ones that are already his 12, it seems. Um, it's, it's not, he called to him his 12 disciples. It, it wasn't... Um, it was like he just was gathering them. It wasn't, he wasn't appointing them uh, to be his disciples. Uh, we have met five of them so far. Uh, we have already met Peter uh, and Andrew, his brother. Uh, uh, remember at the, on the, sea, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, come and I'll make you fishers of men. And then James and, and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were their, their partners, their fishing partners. Uh, and then we also met Matthew, the tax collector. We met him. Uh, so we met uh, James and John, Peter and Andrew. We met them before the Sermon on the Mount. And we met Matthew uh, just in the last chapter, the tax collector uh, called uh, out of his tax booth. Now, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, uh, the rest of the disciples are practically insignificant. And I don't mean nearly insignificant. I mean, practically speaking, is there's they just don't offer much if really anything, other than their presence uh, in the narrative of Matthew, which is not at all to say they didn't have significant ministry in their time, but we just don't know a lot about them. Now, there may be a church like St. Thaddeus' is somewhere, um, but, but it's, it's, these aren't particularly significant. Anything we know about them is really through legend, with the exception of Thomas. And Thomas is not significant in Matthew's Gospel, but of course in John's Gospel, we hear a lot about Thomas. Thomas is um, uh, this is doubting Thomas, um, which is not really a fair moniker, uh, but this is realist uh, sort of give me evidence, Thomas, and um, and he's really really committed. Beth, you did a, a teaching on Thomas, didn't you? Was it your sermon last year? Yeah, uh, really good. So um, so Thomas is significant in John, but not really in Matthew uh, at all. All men, not not really surprising. That is all men, given the time. Much, as you know, is prob- as you probably know, I think, is made of Mar- uh, Mary Magdalene and whether or not she was a follower. And, and actually, uh, this doesn't say that she wasn't a, uh, one sort of in, in the inner circle. Uh, does, she's not named, obviously, among the twelve. But in Matthew 27, right after the crucifixion, which I think is significant because that's the moment where the, the curtain is torn, Right? Uh, right after the crucifixion, in chapter 27, the, uh, Matthew reveals that women had also been following Jesus. It's sort of like this moment where Matthew just breaks it open even a little wider for his audience. 
but it's, it's in the context of death and then, of course, resurrection. That might be weird to us in our day and age, but it would have been, I think, very progressive and um, forward-thinking in Matthew's day. Um, so one thing that I learned that I did not actually know before, uh, before studying for this is, uh, or I hadn't really considered it, I've seen the verse a lot, over in John chapter 1, uh, it is said that uh, Philip is from Bethsaida, which is the, um, which is the town of Peter and Andrew. Now, I don't really have, I don't have a, a board to draw up here, but if you, if you picture the Sea of Galilee, so you picture Israel and the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is on the uh, west side. I guess I do have that over there. But Capernaum is in the Jewish side. Bethsaida is just on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River. They're both, I mean, they're like two or three miles from each other. Both very close to the mouth of the Jordan River as it comes into, uh, empties into the, the Sea of Galilee. But Bethsaida was, was mixed. It was in the Gentile territory, although there would have been a lot of Jews there. Uh, it's essentially uh, the, the New Testament version of the, other, the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, and, and it's significant that Peter, the leader of the disciples is from the wrong side of the tracks. He's, he's not just a, a poor fisherman, un, you know, uneducated. He was obviously very smart, but he was, he was uneducated. And, um, and his brother. And so we, we see he's from, he is Jewish, but he's from, uh, not, not, he's not, um, he wouldn't have been in the mainstream, I guess. He not, uh, didn't have the credentials. But, um, and then you have Matthew, the tax collector. We know about him. He was, we know about sinners and tax collectors and, and how uh, the, um, it would have been scandalous. It was scandalous that, that the rabbi had counted among his, his uh, pupils as this tax collector without any sort of cleansing rite or anything like that. But in contrast to the tax collector, and again, I've never noticed this. I'm, I'm reading a, a commentary about uh, Joel Green. Fantastic. Um, or maybe it's R.T. France. I can't remember. Anyway, um, it is, uh, we have Simon the Zealot. Now, he would have been named Simon, distinguished Simon the Zealot to distinguish him from Simon Peter. Right? So we know that there's two, two Simons, not the same guy. But the fact that he's named the Zealot would, would have been significant because he would have been incredibly uh, conservative and what I mean by that is his, his whole mindset would be to conserve the Jewish rights, to uh, conserve that which was passed down from the uh, prophets and, and the law. And he was not a Pharisee, but he was uh, one of much religious fervor and zeal. And he would have been completely opposed to this tax collector. And yet both find their redemption and their um, salvation and sort of their rest and relaxation uh, in Christ. And I think that's really wonderful. You have people who would naturally be opposed to one another. I think that's the church, isn't it? And people who would naturally be opposed to one another. I mean, in this congregation, we're broad. We've got Democrats, we've got Republicans, we've got 
like really Democrats and really Republicans, you know, and 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 um, and it is, um, you know, the gospel doesn't fall into those categories, and the Jesus is on a different plane altogether, and it's not he's not like moderate, you know, like he's he's gospel, and it's different, and so we all find our home in him. We all have our opinions about things, but we all have our we all find our home in Christ. He redeems all of us, not just some of us. And he hasn't come to affirm any of us, right? He, Jesus is, is neither, not on that, like I already, already said, he's not on that spectrum. So I, I think that's really wonderful. But then we have Judas Iscariot. And of course we have Peter listed first because he's the leader. We have Judas listed last because he is the betrayer. We have the hero of the church and Peter, the villain of the church. Interestingly, when we get to the, uh, the passion narrative, it's like, Back and forth, we talk. We see Peter and Judas, and Peter and Judas. And it's just, it's just really interesting sort of interweaving that just points to the redemption of everyone. Anyway, um, but he's listed last, of course, for a reason. Is what does Iscariot mean? We don't really know. Um, there is, uh, I mean, so if I just asked you and said, "Had you guessed for a while?" The answer is, you're, you're all wrong. I, I, it's, um, it's we don't we all, scholars don't know exactly what it means Iscariot. It, it's not exactly his last name. It probably is a some sort of um, mispronunciation of a man of Kerioth. There's a couple of towns that archaeologists think were called Kerioth. A couple of sites that might have been called Kerioth. They're all in um, Gentile country, like Moab and uh, one of the other ones, um, and, and Ammon or something like that. But so. So he was probably like this outsider, but brought in, again, a beautiful picture of, of the redemption of the Lord, but he ends up betraying him, probably because of his own religious zeal. And we'll get to that later. But I, I really think that it had to do with um, the scandal of Mary Magdalene, or who, whoever the woman was, brushing Jesus' hair uh, over his feet, weeping on, um, I mean, brushing uh, her own hair on Jesus' feet, weeping, drying her uh, tears off of, of Jesus' feet. I mean, that would have been sort of sultry and just scandalous. And I think that's kind of what sent Judas over the edge, but, um, but I don't know for sure. Anyway, it's, just, it's a really interesting group, and it's significant and important that Matthew names them because, because they're just regular dudes. Like, there's not anybody here with a degree from Harvard in this, uh, in this crowd, and... Um, and that speaks to me. And, and they don't all get it right. And some of them get, you know, Judas at least gets it really wrong. And some of them are, are in there, but they don't really make history for anything in particular. And, and that's just really good news for all of us. I think. Any thoughts? Any, any uh, observations? Questions? About these 12? Is it possible that Judas was there not to really be a disciple, but to fulfill the story? Is it possible that Judas was there not to really be a disciple but to fulfill the story? I mean, that is, that is, that is um, I, I would say that some have made that claim, and in fact, some have tried to uh, relieve him of culpability because he was just sort of fulfilling the scriptures. Jesus says, woe be unto him, you know, but, um, but it is, there have been some who have made the case that we'll see Judas in heaven because he was just doing what God had for him to do, which was to betray uh, the Lord. I, 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 there's a wideness in God's mercy. Um, I, 
I'm not so sure about that. However, I mean, I, you know, that, that would be fine with me. But, um, but I think that it is, um, it is, there is certainly a sense in which he had to be betrayed. Uh, he was going to be, is- he couldn't just be arrested. Like, he, it was, he was completely and utterly isolated and departed from, both by his disciples and, um, and all who, who were following. Yes, Josh? I was the way I've, I've kind of reconciled that in my mind is there's a difference between God placing there, someone there to specifically do something and God knowing the hearts of man to the extent he can have Jesus choose the person he knows will do that. So God didn't put him there and make him do it. God found somebody who had, that's like their character and just, you know what I mean? It's not like God made him do it. He just knew Judas to the point that that yeah, so Josh said he didn't, he didn't, God didn't make him do it, he just knew he would do it, so, you know, it's like, um, right, I mean, you know, like, that's, that's, that seems, I, you know, I, I think that's probably one way to look at it, I, I don't know, I mean, certainly he did it under God's sovereignty, and it had to be, and so was he placed there to do it? Sure. I, I mean, I don't really have a problem with that under God's sovereignty um, because God is God. His ways are higher than our ways. But Satan entered into him. But not against, not, not, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, so, you know, they knew it was going to happen. In fact, Jesus knew the one that dips the, his hand in the bread. Was gonna, you know, it wasn't like he just saw this, you know, he'd gotten some bad vibes uh, earlier in the day. I mean, he, it, he knew what was happening. So, but yes, I mean, it, it, it is... Uh, a lot of ink has been spilled. A lot of thought has been put into Judas's motivation. In fact, all of Jesus Christ Superstar is written asking the question, why would someone who loved Jesus so much betray him like that? So I'm not sure that's where you want to go to your, you know, get your great Orthodox theology. But, um, but it, it is mainstream anyway. All right, so we have the 12, and then Jesus uh, sends them on the first mission trip. First mission trip. So would someone read for us uh, through, let's see, verse, I guess it's um, 15, verse, verse 15, <laughs> in, in with Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, start with 5, 15, anybody willing to do that? Yeah, Sissy. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy of it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you, or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave. 
uh, when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. <laughs> The word of the, the God, <laughs> word of the Lord. You know, I, it's always funny when we have a passage like that to say thanks be to God. I just kind of makes me quiver sometimes. Um, we, but but it is. I mean, you know. So gosh, the uh, the way that we receive God's prophets speaks to our eternal judgment. Maybe, gosh. Um, there's some striking features. I, I picked out four striking features of this. Uh, this paragraph. But what 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 do you what are your questions about it? What when you read this? What what do you want to know about? You may not have the answers, but what what are some of the significant things that come up for you? Yeah. Only go to the Jewish areas. Right. Yeah. Only go to the Jewish areas. What's that about? Yeah. All right. And the, yeah, they have to discern worthiness. Well, that's a big one. For sure. Forget it. Yeah, just knock the dust off your sandals and keep on going. Well, that's that sounds like a harsh word, but it's also pretty good advice. Yeah, we'll we'll get to, we'll get to that. Yeah, you guys are right on point with it. So first, yeah, number one, don't go to the Gentiles. I think that's surprising, particularly given the fact that we've already seen Jesus heal a Roman servant. We have uh, seen his ministry to the demoniac and the Decapolis, which is a Gentile heir. So uh, Matthew has has made no case. And in fact, he made the opposite case. Jesus has been very open to um, to progressing his ministry outside of uh, the Jewish sort of realm, uh, not just geographic, but outside of the Jewish uh, ethos, just um, uh, spiritually welcoming and fulfilling the covenant of Abraham that all nations uh, through him, his line would be blessed. Jesus' ministry has been not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. But here he says, don't go to the Gentiles, just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, isn't salvation first for the Jews? Salvation first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Yes, that's uh, Romans chapter 1, 16, 17. That's, um, yeah, that's what Paul said. So he offered it to them first. Yes, indeed. So offering it to them first, but not exclusively, but, but first because... Is the Jewish Messiah? Yes. Uh, well, first, yeah, and then Rick. Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, to me, it's just like you're going to send him out to a little bit of more of a warm call than a cold call. A warm call instead of a cold call. Yeah, they're looking for the Messiah. Okay, yeah. But these are lost sheep too. These are these are these are perhaps non-religious Jews, but but yeah, sort of ethnically for sure. But yeah, that I like that. Yeah, Rick. I know, it's kind of like management 101. You know, let's prioritize here. Let's take the ones that are going to need the most convincing. And let's go after them first. Yeah. And then the Gentiles, they're going to be an easier sell. We can pick up them later, but the, the Jews are going to be tough. So we don't start with the low-hanging fruit. We start with the, uh, we climb to the top of the tree. I mean, I can, yeah, I mean, I think all those are right. I think he's just, like, you know, talk about good management. I think he's just defining his, his audience for this one little trip. Like, I don't think there's anything really significant theologically about who is excluded from the kingdom, except to say, I mean, I think all of those things have, that you said have merit I think he's just saying this. All right, this is like a one or two week little venture. Just you know, let's let's just define our target audience. You know, this is just good marketing uh, uh, in that sense. Not um, not exactly, but you know what I mean. He's defining his mission now for this trip, not for the mission for all time. That's 
So that's how I that's how I understand that, and I think that would, is backed up by the context of, of Matthew's gospel. Second thing that's striking to me is the replication of Jesus' ministry. He says to them, um, uh, as you go, well, actually, first he says, um, he says, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, his ministry began, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus then came behind John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, that's, that's the whole uh, crux and the thrust of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's telling the disciples, they're just carrying on the message. Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king is at hand, right? Now there's Jesus. But then he, said, he, he says, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. We have seen each of these things done by Jesus himself. And so Jesus is placing in them the authority, the spiritual authority, and it seems to be the, the, um, the authority in terms of ability to do all of these things. These twelve were given this authority. Are we given this authority? Are we given this authority? Yes, you say. Tell me why. Uh, because we're also followers of Jesus. And... Okay. Because we're followers of Jesus. We pray for, we pray for each other. We lay hands on each other. Um... Right. I'm raising the dead, I'm not sure about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I listen. I know anybody. I don't know if anybody's ever been on a mission trip to Africa. I have not, but I, um, I've heard stories like this one guy who really felt like he was wandering through the Lord. He had an off, really off week because he only raised like two people from the dead. I mean, there's this, there's this like veil. This all. I mean, it's just kind of a common occurrence. I don't. It's, at least what's what I hear. I, I. All right. So we have a yes. So sometimes, sometimes I ponder this a lot. You know, why why did they have such incredible power? I think they had direct power to do it. I mean, literally go up and go boom. Where our prayers sometimes get the same things done. So maybe we just don't. I mean, I think there are some people out there that probably can do that. I have not seen myself do that yet. <laughs> yes. But I think through prayer, uh, that's our avenue. So we, yeah, I think that. So let me. Uh, I, I like you. You said through prayer we have the same uh, authority or the same ability. Let me ask this: uh, let me, Would you say it like this? That we have through prayer we have the same, we have access to the same authority. Like we have we have, and, and I think that's how I see it anyway. Like I have seen all these things done. I mean, not a lot of leprosy uh, ministry, and I haven't. I've heard about the dead being raised. I've never seen it. I've certainly seen the sick healed. I've heard about and even once experienced the casting out of a demon. It was. Kooky, um, uh, and and yet, uh, I these are not things that I see regularly. As much as we act, I know, and I think there has actually been great spiritual damage done by people who sort of name it and claim it. Like I can remember one time, and it wasn't, I, I, this wasn't particularly damaging, but I um, I have a bad ankle, and I um, early on in that injury years and years ago, I went and somebody prayed. It was this more like. Um, uh, it, was, it was this sort of 
evangelicals or charismatic um, conference that I w- happened to be at and, uh, in, in the Episcopal Church, actually. But, but it, um, and, and so these people were laying hands on it, and they began speaking in tongues, and say, it's getting better, it's getting better. No, it wasn't. You know, like, it's just, you know, I limped back. You know, it wasn't. Um, it was, uh, it, I had, and I have seen, you know, people who just had, um, just some real damage when someone tries to cast out a demon that maybe not in there. You know, like, it's just, there's, we have to be super careful. Um, but I do know people who have those gifts. And so um, I would say that tread lightly. Tread very, very, very lightly. But I do think these disciples had that. They had the touch of Christ, and they were uh, there to manifest faith in those uh, from the lost sheep visitors, bringing those who were non-religious back into the fold of those who had, uh, of faithfulness. Then, yes. Richard. Jesus performed miracles, I think, in large part to establish his bona fides as the Son of God. Yes. It seems like he's given the apostles this authority also so that their bona fides can be perfected because they're out there preaching to Jesus Christ. Yes, and they wrote the New Testament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it does lend them credibility and authority. And I think anyone that, you know, that you see, that you encounter, that can lay hands on someone and, and regularly see healing, that you're going to feel like they have some authority as well. Yes, Kay? I think, I feel like people that do that kind of healing have the ability to channel God's Spirit. They're not doing it. They're only a vessel of I, Yes, thank you. That's well articulated. They're, they're not doing it. They're, God has just chosen to use them as His own vessel. Yeah, they're just mad. They're... They're channeling His Spirit. Can anybody do that? I don't know. Can God do it through anybody? Absolutely. You know, he, he, it's, his, it's His will and His choice. So, um, then He says, he said, don't take anything with you. This would be the scary, I, to me this would almost be scarier than go cast out demons, right? I mean, like, like no snacks in your bag, uh, no deodorant, don't take anything like that. That just, that to me is... Um, Uh, not a not a change of clothes and and yes I mean it would um, it would be very um, scary I think but what what I think he is teaching them is to seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things shall be added unto you well that's the sermon on the mount right that's um, and so let me ask you this are we to live our lives like that some people do some people do live in such simplicity. I think for the mo- most of us, and I certainly include myself in this, we got a lot more than we need. I mean, when's the last time you really took inventory of your closet, you know, like, you know, like, or your garage? And I'm only looking at myself. Uh, I promise. Uh, we we have things that are just sitting there for years that we don't use, you know. And and um, do can other people use it? I don't know, but do we need it? No, absolutely not. Do we get rid of it and feel naked? And um, yeah, there's a weird sort of security that comes with having stuff that we don't need. Um, I, I think that uh, it's it was much more common and um, usual in that day that if you didn't have a place to sleep that night, you just found a tree to sleep under. You know, like it wasn't a big, it wasn't that big of a deal. 
It was also much more common in that day to, if so, you saw someone who needed a place to sleep, you just brought them into the house and gave them something to eat and then sent them on their way. Like, you didn't, you know, we don't really do that anymore. There's too many stories and we're too afraid and maybe we should do a little more of that, but, um, but it's, it's um, I think hospitality is a good thing, but, but I don't think that's the call of it. I mean, I think that, but I do think we're called to simplicity. And I think we're called to put ourselves in a position that um, where we need the Lord to provide for us. Um, so don't take anything with you. Then he says, uh, who was, I think Sissy said, that they have to use discernment. This, they are getting to judge and determine who is worthy and who is not. What is the determining factor of who's worthy? Pardon me? That's a scary it's a scary thing, yeah. But they proclaim it to everybody. And then what and then what's the determining factor? If they accept it or not. Yeah. And and sometimes like I mean what Jesus said, don't bang your head against a wall. You know, like if if you proclaim it and they don't want it, keep going. If they're ugly to you, it's there there's this real sense in which they're ugly to they're being ugly to him. Not it's not personal. And I think that's really important. Uh, as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. It's, it's not magic. It's not like you have this sort of aura, this you know, this chakras or whatever that's coming coming across the house. It's just you're just saying, "Peace be with you." It's the peace of the Lord. Um, if they won't listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Like it's just uh, I, many times I've had to say to someone or do myself like it's just not happening with this person or this effort or whatever you just shake the dust off and keep going I think it's I think Jesus is saying don't live with regret in that sense if if the door is open for the gospel fantastic if it's not find where it is I don't think that's I I I think that it is important what he's saying though is leave the judgment to him it'll be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day uh, I mean, for, for that house, then on Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's for God to determine, not for us. So we just, all we do is we just, we don't leave anything behind. Not even the dust of our sandals, we just, we just move on. Well, how do you know when enough is enough? How do you know when enough is enough? Given up too early, maybe just one more little thing that I might say or do. Yeah, well, I think I, you know, is it is it wrong to try again? No, I don't think so. But I, I think that you know they had a week, <laughs> so they had they had to keep going. Uh, but you know, it there's sometimes sometimes you just say we're gonna have to trust that one to the Lord. Yeah. I've done what I can do. I think also in the context of you're saying that there's a week. You know, if you have a, a someone's close to you and you have a, a life, maybe not life number, but you have a extended amount of time with them, you know, maybe you have a conversation and in that conversation feel abundantly clear that today's not the day to have this, this talk. But that doesn't mean a week from now it's not. You know, it's not saying you know, kind of in the context of the shorter time frame. You know, yeah. You know, don't bang your head against the wall and, and into a fight because you keep pushing on this simple conversation now now their heart is closed right now but as they continue to see you and how your relationship with God is and, and stuff like that maybe their heart opens and you find the time that it hits and it takes 
Yeah. I mean, it's going to be sometime. Maybe it's your next door neighbor, and you know, you still got to live next to them. So you just you're just nice, and you're just loving on them, and 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 then their kid has cancer, and that's then they're looking for an answer. You know, like you, or or whatever it is. So you just you know you just it maybe it's years, but something you just continue to pray and ask the Lord to open that door. That's a great great question. Great question. Yeah, Emily. to the disciples to both convince people. You know, um, yet when he was at the well with the woman, the woman at the well, the woman basically at first told him to go someplace and sit down because she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew, but he kept, he kept talking to her and kept, actually made her feel guilty, you know, by divulging who she really was. Thing until he convinced her. Well, I think that was the sign and the wonder, wasn't it? Was was he that he had no way to know about her, and yet he knew about her? I mean, that was that was the that was the miracle. Yeah, and then that's why, while we're talking, I'm wondering if he had given these disciples that kind of power. I don't you know. Saying? I know he. Because you'll you'll be relieved that he's not giving me that sort of power. So, um, <laughs> um, but I yeah I don't know. I mean, but. Moving, you see. Yet he always if he gave the power that he had, he always had sure. the right thing to say and what have you. Um, almost like he was a psychologist. Hmm. But he didn't always convince everyone. There are plenty of Pharisees that disagreed with him. Yes. The Pharisees. The Pharisees disagreed, yeah. He didn't convince everyone. Oh, okay. He could convince them that he knew him, he couldn't convince them that they weren't righteous <laughs> on their own. Yes, Rick. These these apostles were real simple people. So, again, I think it's kind of the, the project management kind of, let's focus on what's important here. You yes. Know, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You've got a week. Um, there's plenty of ripe uh, fruit out there. Don't waste your time on a bunch of eat. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is not to say don't keep trying. You know, I think that's, that's important. Um, all right. So he, then the last the last part I think is is fearsome, and I'm just going to read it myself. Behold, I'm sending you out as a sheep, uh, sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, and bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So, good luck. Um, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Well, that's all the time we have. You know? so, um, no. uh, it, this, now Jesus seems to be speaking beyond just this trip into sort of the wider 
mission of, of the church itself. Doesn't seem that Jesus really expected them that in this little short trip um, that they would, uh, that he expected them to be handed over at this time to governors and uh, flogged for what they were saying in the synagogues. Probably not at this time. Um, but uh, it, it does apply to all of us who, who live uh, to share our faith, right? The message of Jesus is wonderful and it's offensive. Any of you ever have a time in your life where the, where the gospel was really, really offensive to you? Where you ran from it? Where you didn't like it? Maybe not. But that is, there's a lot of folks in the church. And in fact, I would say that those who are just sort of, yeah, it's fine, apathetic to it, they're a lot further away from the, than the ones that are really ornery about it. But think about how, like, you know, and I've said this before, I think, but you have, you're in some little, I don't know, chat room with your you know civic club, and and you just um, it's a fairly you know secular group of folks, and you know somebody puts out something about uh, some quote by um, Confucius, and somebody puts up some quote by Beyonce, and somebody puts up some quote by uh, Buddha or Muhammad, and those are all really nice. And then somebody puts up some, a Bible verse about Jesus, and everybody flips out and talks about how like closed-minded you are. Because Jesus is actually himself offensive. Like this is princes and principalities. This is this is what we're coming up against. And I, I don't mean to make out um, that this is unusual or extraordinary supernatural. It's just kind of the way things are. It's just that we um, live it. It is, it is a war between the spirits, but it's not. We're not against people. Um, people love hearing about love. They hate hearing about uh, the fact that they're sinners uh, who need a savior. That's offensive. I, yeah, because I think it, they they make other people feel guilty. I mean, I've had friends that. You know, they know that I go to church and all that stuff. And they go, oh, well, you just think you're better than we are because hmm. you go to church. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> That's not why I go. You know, but they... That's all their own baggage and guilt, out, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, because they, know, they feel that they should be doing something that they're not doing. Right. And so they, they're, they're, me, they're coping mechanisms that make you try to, they try to make you feel bad for it rather than themselves uh, do something with it. Yeah. yeah. human nature self-preservation yeah. instinct. I mean, I talk about in the sermon today, we're selfish. We're just, we're just selfish. Um, Jesus is a reconciler and a savior, but he's also a disruptor. He did not come to bring peace, but, but also a sword. Um, uh, there will be no more adherence to the status quo with Jesus. And Unfortunately, I don't think Jesus takes any delight in this, but families, it, it, I mean, it's enough. It goes to the point of tearing families apart. And some of you have families. We don't talk about this stuff in Thanksgiving, right? Um, but he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I just think that's, there's a lot of um, hope and a lot of a call to perseverance. That is all the time we've got today. We've got to go to church. There's more to be said, I'm sure, and we will pick it up next week. God bless you. Fill out your surveys if you haven't already.